Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the View from the View. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to start again because, you know, you're used to me by now. The View from the Booth podcast. Uh, I am Mo Stewart, if you aren't used to me, hello. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk to DJs, tell them about their feelings in the booth, outside the booth and around the booth. And so far, the response has been fantastic from you guys. But in all honesty, we've just had a row of middle-aged guys and that's all fine because those are the people who i'm friends with because i am one too but we need to open it up before we need to get a range of ideas and thoughts into this and so i thought who better to bring in than one of the brightest up-and-coming djs playing around in liverpool right now you might have seen her at the invisible wind factory you might have seen her at kitchen street you might have seen her at a few festivals across the summer as well so if you haven't heard her you should get to know her just as you're about to do. So, Nikki Chong, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mo. I'm really excited. <laughs> I've never done a podcast before, so, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, despite the fact we are in a studio, essentially this is just a conversation. So oh, I know that. that talking about music is something you've done before because it's pretty much what all of us do at some point. But yes. I'll start with the easiest question. Go on. Um, this weekend just passed. You were playing at Blue Dog Festival. Yes. So, How was that? Oh, honestly, um, so that was probably the muddiest festival I've ever been to. Um, I was very lucky. I only bought rain boots or like Wellingtons or whatever you call them. Like, um, like literally, like the day before, I was like, "Well, I'll just pack these just in case." But honestly, like, it was bad. <laughs> like, it was just just people were just soaked, and like I'd only just bought a raincoat as well, so. Um, it was an amazing show. I had loads of um, familiar faces, like you know all the people from Invisible in Factory and the Casimir. So um, had people like Dog Show, Benno, Alien Is, and a few of my friends. Um, lots of familiar Liverpool people on that stage. Um, but the only problem was the basically it was open air, so there was no tent, which meant that basically the dance floor became a lake. Um, <laughs> so it was quite difficult to get any kind of vibe going because there was literally just no one there you know um we were also on at the same time as too many djs so that right. yeah so that would have meant that a lot of people would have just been over there and not for me and my mate set um yeah you know that's just that's just how it is when you're a smaller dj you just kind of go this is an amazing opportunity yeah. but at the same time like understandably so people will be at other areas um but yeah we stayed the night and then we had to leave because i was also djing at secret garden party um, down like Cambridge ways, mm -hmm. but we basically got stuck in the mud. So we had to get a tractor, um, to tow us out, uh, so we could actually drive home. So, um, that was a bit of a mission. Wow. And I heard that they actually had to cancel all of Sunday's tickets, um, which is a shame. Yeah. It was uh, no day entry. It was just, if yeah. you're already there, then, then fine. You're in it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but apparently the headliner was Grace Jones. Mm. So that's really disappointing for whoever wanted to come on Sunday. I felt really bad for everyone. I mean, you can't really plan for that much kind of rain. I think everyone uh, kind of panics. <laughs> that's the funny thing, isn't it? You think about uh, a festival set and how long you'd have time thinking about it and preparing for it. And so much of how it went would have been determined by things completely out of your control. Yes. Yeah. I think the, I, I think the set would have gone a little bit differently. Having said if the weather was sunny, I think a lot of people would be, you know, more inclined to coming to an outdoor stage. But, you know, it is what it is. It was still a really great time. And Secret Garden Party was just as great. Um, it was like the shindigger stage, which was like, it's like a beer company in the UK. But the stage itself was like, 
you had to like walk up to it and it was like a skull and then like a hot air balloon and I don't think I could ever dream of playing in something like that. So it was quite exciting. You got some pictures. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely like if you want to go on my Instagram, it's on, it's on there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool. We just stayed out for a little bit, watched a few of the acts and then we actually ended up driving all the way home. So, wow. yeah. so did you get some time to actually enjoy the festival on either of them then? So not not really. Blue Dot, we didn't really because the rain, gen, genuinely, the rain was bad. Um, and I think because we had so many people on that stage that were our friends, it we felt bad going anywhere else because, you know, they were there to support us and we're there to support them. And, you know, from a local level, I think, like, you know, local DJs need your support more so than the big people <laughs> so you know it's, it's good to, it's good to be part of a community like that so you know for blue dot we were definitely around all our friends um we got a, li- a little bit of secret garden party um my favorite actor was henge <sighs> if, if, yeah there i didn't know what to expect because it was my friend's recommendation to go and see them but Honestly, it was one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. It was the highlight of the weekend. <laughs> I saw Henge at Glastonbury. They played on the, the Truth stage. For those of you who listened to the last edition, uh, Jamie Howie, Jamie Chicken, he was the stage manager. Of the Unreal. Stage, and he was very much like, whatever you're doing, come see Henge. And yes. we had a big crew there and it was it was spectacular. Yeah, they it's a must-see. Yeah, for sure. I think they're actually going to play at Kitchen Street in November and I, I saw that come up on my feed and I was like, wow, yes. this is this is a great time for Liverpool. So, yeah. I'm Henge. absolutely not going to tell you anything about what they're like no. as an artist or as a musician. <laughs> you find out for yourself. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great. But, yeah, so that was my weekend, a very rainy one. Um, happy to be home, but, yeah, a five-day bender at 31 is not my best uh, idea. But it's part of the work life, isn't it? I think... When you're at the stage where you are trying to break through, trying to become known, particularly if you're mm-hmm. at the stage where you still have to do other jobs, which I yes. believe you are, yes. that is kind of part of what you have to give away, isn't it? Some of the fun. Yeah. And it, it turns a bit into a job a bit more than you'd like sometimes. Yes. It's a difficult one because I think, not to get too deep, but I think, you know, like there's always kind of that conversation around DJing and partying and stuff like that. And, you know, especially when you're a smaller DJ like myself, a lot of it is networking. And, you know, the networking comes part and parcel with all the alcohol and everything else that happens with that. And, you know, so when you're smaller, you kind of want to be out there and networking. But, you know, at the same time, you've got to think about your health. And, yeah, job-wise, I have two other jobs. I work in a restaurant and I work um, for a company called AdLib, which do, like, lighting, audio, visual stuff for festivals and stuff like that. So I am really busy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we make it work. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, Yeah, I like being busy, so... I mean, there's also the passion of the music. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming that is a big part of why you're willing to put yourself through all these things. Yes. So let's rewind it back a little bit. Where did all of this begin? Where did the drive, not just to music, but also to wanting to play music? I think I always loved music since I was a kid. Like I started, well, when I was a kid, I was doing ballet for a long time. So classical music was always a thing and being on time and on on beat or whatever you want to call it. Um, My parents were always very musical. Like my mom played piano, my dad played guitar, my sister played clarinet. So very musical family. And then kind of moved on to just liking music and liking indie music and then went through my emo phase, of course. Um, And then I went to work for a nightclub as a lighting 
technician. I just pressed buttons. I didn't do anything special, by the way. Nothing, yeah. nothing special. Um, but I kind of, from that was, that's kind of where my love for like electronic music kind of started, yeah. um, which was quite cool. Um, but yeah, I basically went one year, I entered a DJ competition and that's kind of where this all kind of kicked off. Um, but basically every state in Australia, so that's where I'm from, by the way, if you didn't know, um, basically they would pick all these winners from each state um, and I ended up winning, um, which was quite cool. And the prize was a gig overseas, like at a festival, um, all expenses wow. paid for. Yeah. So um, I didn't think I was going to win. Um, so I was like, oh, my God, this is intense. Um, and then I ended up getting Snowbombing Festival as my um, gig. What? So, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, the small town Gold Coast DJ that knows hardly anything is playing at, you know, in the slopes. Um, yeah. So I was on the same stage as Melee, Camel Fat. Um, I can't remember who else now. But, yeah, that was back in, like, 2018. And this was, what, your second, third gig? No. Th so, oh, so I didn't explain that very well. But basically the DJ competition, you had, like, six weeks of just DJ right. training. And after the DJ training, everyone had to play like a 25 minute set live at a club. And then that's what I won from. <laughs> so I hadn't really played out to anyone, like to anyone really. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think like, you know, being the lighting technician kind of helps and being in the club environment really helped because I was always kind of like listening to tunes on the weekend um, and listening to a array of people. And I was always around the right type of people if that makes sense. Like I think I've said it before, but, you know, community is such a big thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, when you find people that love music as much as you do, you kind of kind of feed off each other a bit. So I was very lucky with that. Um, but, yeah, after I won, I ended up getting a residency at the club that I played where I was doing the lighting stuff at. So I did every Sunday um, for a while, and that's kind of where I learnt most of my skills yeah. in terms of building a night and stuff like that, um, which is... That, I can go on another tangent here about the like the scene here. Oh please, it, it's, go it's, on as many tangents. It, as you want. It's really different here. Um, but basically, what happened was basically after I did the set at Snowbombing, I was like, oh my god, this is unreal. I've never experienced something like this in in my entire life. Like whoa, like hanging out with all these famous people. Like I remember seeing like. Peggy Goo and Jackmaster in like the in the lobby of this hotel and I was like whoa I can't believe I'm in the same place as like these amazing people that like anyway so after that I was like I need to I just need to do this more and so I kept at it with in the um in Australia and then basically I um kind of was like what am I going to do now like what could I possibly do with the music that I like because I really love techno music and there wasn't too much of a scene where I'm from and I was like, well, if I move to the UK, I may as well just see how it goes. You know, I don't have any debt. I don't have kids. I, you know, nothing holding me back. If it doesn't work, I can come back home, um, you know, see what happens. And I, and I knew that London would be too intense for me because I'm from like a smaller town. And I just said, Liverpool sounds great. Um, you know, and at the time my boyfriend was boyfriend, boyfriend at the time was from here. So, you know, it all kind of made sense for me to come to Liverpool Um and I've never really looked back. It's been the best thing for me. But, yeah, it's very different here. The scene is, you know, like I said, I was a resident at the club that I worked at. So that, that meant playing from like nine to three mm. on a Sunday and kind of building the night over a few hours. Whereas like here, 
you kind of get booked for events and you only get booked for like an hour and a bit maybe and it's always yeah it's just it's just a different way of working it is and uh, I mean I say that as someone who does have yeah. one of those kind of residencies here and <clears throat> it always kind of hits me when I do try to go into your world like for example when I was at Glastonbury and I was having to try and think of six hours worth of music and put it into 90 minutes it's it's just a completely different mindset so I mean that's kind of how we first encountered you basically coming into motel when I was in there smashed it (laughs) you didn't need to say that no living legend at motel love it (laughs) but I mean obviously when you're trying to think about sets and stuff like that and trying to put together music being in that ability having the ability sorry to have regular once a week build up that residency build up the good habits that is how crucial was that to everything else i mean yeah it honestly like i don't think that i'd be the same dj that i am today without all of that i think it's like that is your really important vocation and i think sometimes when i watch djs and, you know, not to name names or anything like that. <laughs> it, but, you know, it, it, you can tell the people who have m- the experience as a res- like as a resident DJ, like whether it's, you know, a six-hour club or, like, bar thing. Because, like, the, even, like, a bar set is different to, like, a club set. Yeah. But I think, you know, what the club that I worked at taught me was, like, dialing back the energy and not having to be, like, full pelt all the time. And, you know, they kind of taught me that, you know, Anyone can play a headline set and just bang it out and people will love it. But if you can really curate like a proper warm up and actually understand the energy of like and the journey of a night, it would yeah. it just makes your DJing skills a whole lot better. And I can see it a lot more in the and I you know, like I said, I've got friends that do all those kind of sets and they're just far better DJs than people who potentially don't do those kind of things and and don't, you know, and that's what I meant by, like, the scene's different here. Like, I don't think there's a lot of space for people to learn that way. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and that has changed since I started because I think a lot of the bars that I was able, like, for example, my first residency was a Monday night. And Mm. at that point, Monday night wasn't really anything. And then suddenly they had carnage student nights coming on (sighs) Monday. And so it became everything. But... They didn't mind. They were like, just do your thing on a Monday night. And frankly, there's just less bars around yeah, yeah, that yeah, are yeah. willing to do that. And some of them are only open at certain times. So yes. it's, it's it's more difficult now, I think, the landscape just in general. I 100% agree. I think, like, yeah, the landscape is a bit weird as well. I think it all kind of – it's a difficult topic because, you know, a lot of it has to do with, like, people's uh, – attention span I would say as well you know like back in the day you could listen to a six minute track and people would be there with you the entire time but I'm finding that a lot of people want like quick transitions and don't want to listen to the whole track and they're just like what's the next thing what's the next thing oh there's a drop okay what's the next thing and so I think DJing in itself has kind of changed and obviously there's a lot more effects you can use and a lot more um you know technique you can use like i would say so i think like yeah attention spans a lot to do with it um but yeah the landscape has definitely <laughs> changed but this is a thing like whenever i dj i do tend to i do tend to play most of the track as it's meant to be heard because I, I think like there is intention in people's ability to make music so like when i play it it's like that's how it's supposed to be so i do try and honor that a lot in my sets um but it's not everyone's cup of tea 
I do that. I, I'm the same. Is mm. more often than not, if I'm playing a song, it's because I like the song. Yeah. So I want to hear as much yeah, of the song 100%. as possible. Yeah, hundred percent. No, definitely. <laughs> and maybe that's selfish, but it comes from a place I think of trying to make people who are listening like the song as well. And yes. That's pretty much fundamentally what we're all doing here. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. It's just yeah, attention span. I think is a big, dif- difficult part of not just the musical landscape i think it's the hot everything yes it's like a like a, bro, a broader topic but yeah that's definitely something that i would say has had a huge impact on music and you know if you look at all the djs and producers like it's like oh yeah bring out a hit oh yeah when's the next one and it's like you know people used to bring out albums you know like i think back to like the prodigy and stuff like that and they brought out albums and then you'd not hear from them for a while and then yeah. another album. Whereas now it's like, oh, no, just bring out a single. Oh, no, bring out just another single. Oh, yeah. Make it only two minutes long. It doesn't need to be eight minutes. And it's just like, it's, so it's just, it's just yeah, it's just a changing scene. And it's whether or not you jump on the bandwagon or not and how much of history do you kind of bring along with you, I would say. Well, no, that's, that's the thing really, isn't it? For someone like you, like you say, you're still actively trying <laughs> to get gigs, trying yes. to get festival books. How much do you go with this? And essentially, well, it's part trend, part evolution, really. And how much of it do you think, oh, well, people get sick of this soon, and so there's no point in me throwing myself into it? And how much do you think, well, I want to be myself, I want to be true to myself as a DJ, and hope that people want that? Oh, I don't know. I think, like, the older I've gotten, the more confident I've become in, like, what I want to do or how I want to come across as a DJ. I don't know. It's it's one of them ones where I have days where I'm like, oh, I hate it. I hate social media. I hate that like a lot of this is driven by social media. And then other days I'm like, oh, no, I can do this. I can jump on the bandwagon, um, you know, but it is difficult. You know, like, do do I really have the time to like sit down and make a whole video about how my, like a get ready with me to DJ? And like, do I have time or the, the personality for it? I don't know. I, some days I do. And it, and, it, and it works out really well for me. And then other days I'm just like, I cannot be bothered. And I'd rather put my energy into making the mix really, really good rather than all the external things. And sometimes, you know, like not in like, I'm not trying to be vain, but like sometimes I wish that it wasn't the image of me as a woman, as like a, and and a person of color as part of like the imagery and part of like a selling point for gigs and stuff like that. Like I understand that there is, you know, a major push for, people of colour and women in the industry. And I love that and I'm not trying to take anything away from that at all. But, you know, if I wasn't all these things, would I would I be booked? And I would, yeah. and I would love to know because for me it's <clears throat> like I would want to be booked because you think that I'm talented or you think that I make sense on the lineup rather than all these external factors that, like, I don't really have control over. Yes. Um, but at the same time, like I said, it's still very, very important if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the same time, you don't want that to be the reason for your opportunity, but at the same time, yeah. you want to have the opportunity, get into that place and then prove to them that, oh, no, she's there yeah. because she's a good yeah, DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, sometimes it's really obvious when I'm the booking that to just to tick a box. Um, it does happen. Um, I don't particularly like it, but at the same time, I'm like, well, I'm still going to take that opportunity. <laughs> and, yeah, so it's one of them. It's, you know, it's a double-edged sword in, in, a, in a way. But... um. Like I say, yeah, like, you know, very much I think DJing and all that kind of stuff has become very much like a visual thing rather than substance. Um, you know, I look at a lot, a lot of DJs, 
you know, and, may, and maybe I'm envious and maybe it's like an ego thing and maybe I'm envious of what other people have. Um, but, you know, people who are really amazing on social media seem to have this better trajectory than people who don't. I mean, I don't really know a DJ these days that can have success without it because everyone's always like, make sure you promo this, make sure it's out here, make sure it's out there. And, you know, back in the day, it didn't, it wasn't even about who was the DJ on the night. You would no. just go because you knew that there would be good music at that club. Yeah. And so that's why I think the landscape is a bit different. It is different. I mean, I find that myself. Like mm. I admonish myself when I haven't done enough. Or, for example, if someone comes up to me and says, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed the night. If I didn't tell them, oh, well, you can find me on blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, then I'd be like, oh, dang it. And, I mean, even yeah. with the show, like essentially we have to – Anything that we think is good and we want to be successful, we have to kind of go down those channels whether we like it or not. It's just how much of it, how much of yourself you mm. allow it to take up, I think. No, that is true. I mean, like like I said, I'm a very, very busy person. So sometimes social media is probably one of like the last things on my mind. But at the same time, I understand how important it is. Um but yeah, but also it's like, you know, when there's months where I don't have gigs, it's really difficult yeah. because you don't have anything to promote. So you're just like, oh, what do I even post? Like, are people even going to be interested? Like, oh, got a shift at the restaurant. Like, it's <laughs> like, it's, is it that, that's just not as interesting as like, oh my God, I'm playing at Blackstone Warehouse. You know, like I've had some amazing, like I've genuinely had some amazing opportunities um, as a DJ. And so that's like sometimes it's just such a high. So when sometimes it's like one day you're like, oh, yeah, I'm supporting Bicep. And then the next minute you're just like doing your laundry in your yes. house. So it's like, yes. you know, it's quite funny how life can be like that. <laughs> no, I think this is one of the things that I think people don't understand the most is that those highs, when you have them on a social media page and you're scrolling through, mm. they look fantastic. But they're stretched out. There's yeah, lots no, of absolutely. time and space and things happening in between those. And Sometimes you can feel like it's hard to keep momentum going and get the next one off the lot back of the last one because some like for example this weekend you played two fantastic hugely known festivals <laughs> yep. literally on the same yep. weekend yeah literally I, I was like oh my god am I a superstar DJ two <laughs> two festivals in like one weekend that is unheard of for me so you know it was very like very rewarding I would say um and obviously we got we actually got like a buggy to one of the stages oh, really? yeah Amazing. so I always feel like a bit of a diva when I'm on a buggy because it's like wow look at me I'm on a buggy <laughs> so you know that was fun so I, I definitely felt like oh wow this is this is really really exciting um but you know it's if, if I could do this full time it would that would be amazing it's just I think it's just very competitive and you know um I think when you get to my kind of level, you're kind of still finding your feet a bit in terms of like production and stuff like that. Um, there's not many people who can go further without having that element of production. And just because I've got so much other things going on in my life, it just always sits on the back burner and I feel dead bad about it because I've been saying I wanted to produce for like six years and just never got there and I don't know whether it's like a fear thing of like the fear of the unknown and like I know that like it'd be like a long like the learning curve would be quite hard I would say you know to learn how to produce and making ideas come to life you know I think that's kind of what's holding me back is just a bit of fear guys how do I get over fear <laughs> um 
I would say if you have the means to do it easily, as in if mm. you have a space and a laptop and maybe a little bit more time than you have now, <laughs> no. I think I would just start doing it. Like genuinely, all of the things in my life where I've been nervous about, am I good enough to do this? Can I do this? Once I started doing it, I felt a lot better about it than I did before I started. That is actually very true. That's right. good. That's that is good advice. <laughs> to be fair, I should I do, I should just start. To be fair, like I, I don't I don't. There's nothing really holding me back, besides maybe time. But I should just make time. To Sometimes be fair, your idea that you have is just so good that you have to do it. That's. I mean, in my entire DJ career, I've constructed three mashups and one remix. I think. And all of them were ideas I had. I was just like, this is too good. I can't, I can't let this idea go. I have, to, I have to play this out. I have to find a way to play this out. So maybe that's what it takes. Maybe you're just going to find a tune or a, a remix or an mm. idea that you're just like, okay, well, I need to hear this. Well, that's the thing. It's like some, that, that idea has just come to you. And I'm not sure whether I have that in me. Maybe I don't know. I've never really, I've never really thought about it. There are definitely tunes out there that I've been like, oh, I would love to hear it like this kind of way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is something on my mind because you know I'm kind of at that stage where people are kind of wanting that from me before I can kind of get any higher on the bill. Because at the minute I'm still quite low on the bill, and I would love to get higher. So that is definitely something on the cards for me. Um, but that's the thing. But once again, this goes back to you know history and what a DJ actually is um, and how that's evolved yeah. these days. You know, like DJing to me is being a really good selector, um, being a really good crate digger, um, fi finding the right tune for the right time. I think it's all that's all really important as a DJ, you know, and how do you d separate DJ from producer, you know, whereas these days it's very much like they come hand in hand. Yeah. So once again, the landscape has changed. Um yeah, I don't really know many DJs, like any of the higher DJs that don't bring out their own tracks. You it's know. just seen as part of the progression though, isn't it? It's almost like if you're good enough to be able to put two or three mm. songs together uh, 50 times or however many times you do it in a row, then you're good enough to create your own music. I don't necessarily subscribe to that view <laughs> personally, but because I, I mean, obviously I do a lot of one and very little of the other. Yeah. The difference between having ideas mm. and getting to the point where I've produced this idea to how it sounds in my head to a satisfactory level, that's a tough road, as you said. But the thing with it is that if you have the drive to do it, if you have the desire to do it, if you have the mind to do it, you'll find a way. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it would, it would be great if I could get there. Um, yeah, no. Producing, it's definitely on the cards, just... Just gotta, just gotta do it. Just gotta bite the bullet and just don't be silly. <laughs> yes, definitely, and I'm sure everyone listening to this will agree. But what you have done is you helped me remember one of the things I wanted to do with every single show. Uh, someone asked me to start putting some musical recommendations into the show, but rather than me do it, I'm going to ask you to do it. So, oh, God, musical recommendations? Now, that doesn't have to necessarily be something that you're, uh, what I'm loving right now. Mm. It can be the first song that comes to your head, maybe right. one of the songs from either set as over the weekend that really blew. Or... Mm. So I, I play a lot of techno and house music, so I, I kind of play a really weird broad kind of case of music so in terms of recommendations okay I can recommend an artist who I've absolutely loved her name is Mara um it's spelled M-A-A-R-A -A -A. if you like techno music 
queer music um, and a little bit eclectic, I would say that she's the DJ for you. Um, oh, God, I don't even know how to explain it to you. I saw her at Gotwood and it was genuinely a life-changing experience. I've Well, it's like, you know, sometimes you go to festivals and you go to gigs and you're like, oh, that was a really good, like, that was that was fun, that was good. But, like, when I saw her, I literally had like an out of body experience. Like I was like, Oh my God, like she has literally put the fire under my ass to be a better <laughs> DJ. And that yeah. doesn't happen very often for me. So like the whole time, all of our friends were just like, I quit. I can't be a DJ anymore. Like she clearly knows where to look for tunes. I have no idea where to look for tunes. And it, I think most of her set was actually just her tracks anyway, or like edits that she had done or whatever, because we couldn't Shazam like any so you know when doing like the secret shazam behind the back like trying to be secretive about it but like honestly like every track was amazing and all the blends were great um so i would highly recommend mara if you're into that uh, my favorite party jam would be anything by kylie minogue of course, of course. yeah I, I mean i think it works for a pre-party i think it works for an after party i think it works for anything um uh the one track that i keep playing at the minute Oh goodness. I'm just trying to think back on my sets. I try and I try not to make all my sets the same. Yeah. You see, um just because like I said it's that whole thing of like you're only getting booked for an hour and a bit rather than like the residency type of style. When I was playing the more residency type of style I did get away with a lot more re- repetition I would say than I do now. Um I'm just trying to think. God, you really put me on the spot. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of not what I was trying to do. I was was thinking maybe if there was a memory of a song in particular, but it... Oh, um, I mean, memories. I think there's memories to every song that, that you, you know, especially the big ones. I mean, I think, oh, okay, a big one for me would be vision by word life so word life are like my mates from back in australia and it was the first song i ever played to a crowd so i think that one's a really important one if you ever want to look it up it's a great party jam i think i still play it to this day and the first time i played to a crowd was back in like 2017 2018 so it's last like you know it's stood the test of time i think the other song that i would say is magnify we magnify his name by floor plan just because of like, I've never heard that kind of music before where it was like techno and gospel. And, you know, I think while I play techno music and techno at the minute is quite white, you know, we cannot deny the fact that techno was born out of Detroit and black culture. So for me, like anything by those kind of people is a really important part of what I would say that I do. You know, Robert Hood is an actual icon. And honestly, I, I don't get, this is the thing, I don't really get um, like starstruck by DJs. I try not to because like they're just, you know, they're just, if it was Mara, I think I'd absolutely fangirl. Um, I would. <laughs> but but Floor Plan was the only two people I've ever met where I literally was like, holy shit, like I've really met like really special people, you know, and they really are godly people as well. Like, Genuinely, that was another religious experience for me. I saw them at Defected in Printworks and I met them backstage and honestly, I didn't even know what to say to them because I was just like, you guys are just so important and like to what I do. Like Robert Hood is literally like 
super important in all of that kind of world. So it's just, yeah, so. How did they take it? Oh, I mean, I didn't really say much. I just basically was like, hi, I love you. Goodbye. Didn't, didn't want to, oh, don't want to well, take up my, you know, your time. You said all of that other stuff in your head. Yeah. What actually oh, came yeah. out of your mouth Oh, was, no. <laughs> yeah, it was basically like that. I didn't say a fucking word. I was like, oh, no, I can't. But deep down inside, I just knew how important they were to, like, what I do, you know. It's interesting because, you know, I don't really, I don't really talk about that kind of stuff, like culture and all these things online that kind of affect me and affect other people just because I think that there are more, I've always, I've always said this about this, that like, I think there's more intelligent people that will be able to articulate these kind of things better than I ever could. So sometimes I don't really put post online, like how I feel about certain things or yeah, culture and, you know, you know, black culture in music, uh, women in music, you know, me being a person of colour in music, you know, all these kind of issues that are really important to me. Yeah. But I just don't really like it's not something that I discuss online. But I'm, ha- I'm, I'm I am happy to discuss in person. But I think it's interesting how if you do start to put those things online, you, you'd be interested. It's fa- quite fascinating to see the kind of responses that people come up with. Because, mm. like, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of, you know, I would say like unwanted attention, you know, like I, I, I did a, I did like a live stream for size back in the day. And like some of the comments were like, this is, she's not even DJing. I thought this was a DJ stream. Like just, I mean, I, I know that like men get it as well, but you know, it's always the thing of like, oh, it's just a girl DJ. Like doesn't, she the doesn't. assumption yeah. is always that you aren't doing it rather yeah. than you are doing it. And it just, it, you know, so sometimes it does make me sad, but it's, it's one of them. It's like, you know, if I, if I didn't have some sort of talent, I wouldn't be no. doing what I do, you know? And like, I mean, like for any DJs that actually want to succeed out there, I would say that networking is a big part of it. Like you can practice all you want, but you know, being in the right spaces and being a part of your community is a really big thing, you know, and don't be fake about it. Cause like I can tell when someone's being fake friends with myself, it should be genuinely nice and be genuinely curious. And, you know, like if you want to play and, you know, be out there, then be genuine, but always treat people with respect that's what I would say but um yeah that's it's just one of them no that's that's really good advice actually I think because sometimes when you say to people go out join a community find some people Mm. who you like people can approach it in in the right way and in the wrong way and like you say if you're coming at it where it's very transparent that Mm. you are just joining these people to try and get something out of them yeah. Then they're going to see through it. Yeah, that, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, you, you really can see through it. Um, it's, yeah, it's very obvious and, and I don't like it when it's just like don't try and just, I don't know, there's just a way you go about it, I would say, and don't be too full on at the start. Just, you know, become friends first. That's kind of like the main thing. I mean, when I started DJing in Liverpool, um, I was basically bartending at Kitchen Street and to be honest, I didn't even know how to to pour a pint um so like my my boyfriend at the time threw his party at kitchen street and he was kind of like look my girlfriend needs a job help um and then after through that i was just like hey by the way like i dj here's a mix and then it was like right let's just give you an opportunity and then obviously i did a really good job and then that was kind of like the rest is history kind of vibe um yeah and then it's always it's interesting because you know people come to see you play and then they're like oh yeah actually that was really great and I think this is what I try to say about DJs and 
I know that people put the set times up, but I kind of disagree with that because, you know, yes, you want to come and see the headline and who's always on at one o'clock at the peak time of the set. But it's like, you know, what about the person who's warming up or closing? You don't actually know, you know, you could have the most amazing DJ and the most amazing selector come and play for like the first hour when no one's going to show up and you've just missed an amazing set. Yeah. And so I don't really particularly agree with set times being advertised. I know that it's obviously a thing, but um, yeah, because, you know, while these amazing people, are, you know, these amazing careers, like, you know, Peggy Goo, she's amazing. And, you know, they always pay, play like peak time sets and, and they always play the hits. But, you know, it is the people who are warming up who probably need your support the most, yeah. I would say. I think important things on that to remember for people is you're all part of the same night. Yes. We're all part of producing the same vibe. Like, yeah. for example, however great the headliner is, if you go on on an early set and absolutely trash it, mm. then it's going to make a difference. People yeah, are 100%. Know you are important. And also, all of those people, all of the headliners that you want, that you have paid to see, all of them started... Yes. By doing those kind of sets, by yep. doing warm-ups. Everybody yep. started that way. Everybody. Yeah. So you are kind of missing out on maybe future stars mm-hmm. exactly like yourself. Yeah. Oh, God, a future, <laughs> a future star. That, that would be nice, I imagine. Oh, it's so funny because, like, obviously we're in the Anfield rap room, but I know that, like, um, is it, like, Sean and all that? They use this room, don't they? Yes, ah, they do. Oh, my gosh. Because, obviously, Lauren Losung, I would say that she's a Liverpool legend as well. Oh, So, yeah, I mean, she's amazing. I, I look up to her as a DJ. She's, you know, she plays minimal music in a way that, like, I, I've never heard before. So, you know, and th- this is the other thing. I think, like, when I say communities, I think it's really important to go out and experience the nights that you really like and understanding like how these people curate their nights like if you look at Lauren Losung and she does low life and her party you know how she create curates that you know go and go and find the music that you like find the people who are making those kind of events happen in your city and then going to those nights and then you know that's kind of how you can find the right communities and how you can push yourself in the right way because that's kind of what I did. Um, and then with all the techno stuff, you know, I was just in the right rooms with the right people. Um, I mean, of course, on top of that, all the DJing and stuff and you know, all, all the all the extra bits, yeah. but, yeah, you know. you got to let the music lead you. Yeah. What you like and the places that play the things you like, the yeah. DJs that play the things you like, go there more often and yeah. get involved in that way. I think... Yeah, some it can sound like we're kind of mapping out some kind of <laughs> big manifesto of how to become a DJ, but the fact is, is that it it's all come from like I say, organic place of yeah. Well, I want to see more of this. I want to feel more of this. I want to hear more of this. Where can I go? Yeah, uh, obviously, like this is not like a play by play of like how you can be a famous DJ. Like this is <laughs> this is just how I've been able to get I'll as be far asking as like that's <laughs> Slim on the next edition. <laughs> Oh, man, imagine, I mean, Fatboy Slim's career, like, I don't think, this is the thing I was saying to someone else is, like, I don't know whether we'll ever have another Fatboy Slim, another prodigy. Like, we're not going to have those kind of stars, um, you know, in our day. I mean, obviously, like, people probably like Peggy Goo come close, but I wouldn't even say, yeah, I mean, it's just different. It's the longevity, though, isn't it? It's not just about the stardom. Mm. And, and, I mean, because obviously, like, Fred again, Madonna, 
like again at Glastonbury they were all over and in the big major spaces as well as mm. the small underground spaces but to be fat boy slim you've got to be doing it for what 30 years yep yeah so the ability for people to cling to what you do and what you come to want to see you and still be able to be current because mm. he's never been out of step no, no, but at the same no. time it's never been like he's chasing trends it's no it's he's just fat boy slim yeah to be honest like uh this is going to be a funny one but like i basically at any after party my go-to is actually to watch him on brighton beach so like my youtube search channel is basically just like fat boy slim brighton beach like back in the 90s oh my god i'd a party like that will never happen ever again. No, uh, ever friends again. of mine were at those. Oh my god! They never let me forget <gasps> it. Ever, <sighs> ever, ever, ever. That's uh, like legendary. I know. <laughs> I've Hi. watched it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, George, if you're listening. Um, okay, so before we run out, I was going to say run out of time, but I'm setting the time in. <laughs> but more of the things that we like to talk to everyone about. So from your career. What has been your favourite gig to play? Oh, God. I You know, I think I have more. Oh, God, I've got three, I think. You have three, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, so I think snowbombing was obviously an iconic one for me because I'd never played to a crowd, let alone a festival, and then all of a sudden here I am playing in Austria on a ski, you know, ski slope, I mean, I mean, I met Idris Elba. Like, you can't. I, I, yeah, that was the other. Like, that's the other thing. I opened for Idris Elba the second day or something like that because they were like, "Oh, do you just want to open for him?" And I was like, "Do I just want to open for him?" Yes. It wasn't part of the schedule, but it happened. Um, so that was obviously an iconic one for me. Um, second one would be Bicep at Blackstone Warehouse. Um, I was obviously the opener, and there wasn't that many people there, but you know, not many people can say that they've supported Bicep. No. Um, that's a pretty big one for me. Um, and I think the third one was actually Boiler Room After Party in Liverpool at WAV. Um, it was a solid like three or four hours worth of just really banging techno. And it was, I think everyone in the room was really there with me, which yeah. you can't really plan for. No. And like, I, like no matter what I played, they were just really trusting that, and just were there and like a lot of people with that from that were there from the beginning were there all the way through to the end and you know you can't as a dj you can't ask for something better than that and i was in room two as well so where where room two is in the web you kind of have to like go around a bend and it's closed doors and stuff so like it's not the main room so you really have to go and search and find this room in order to be there so I think that was quite good because I could really punch it, which I don't normally get to do as a warm-up DJ. So it was good that I could kind of take it wherever I wanted it to, just like my residency. So, you know, come full circle a little bit there. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, and they're all very different as well. It's like there's that yeah. first kind of shock of, wow, this is what it means. And then there's yep. like obviously playing with uh, people you really respect. Yep. And then there's just the feeling from the crowd. And yep. I think... That's probably the one that most of us, whoever you are, wherever you've played, when you get that, and like you say, when you know a crowd have come with you, it's it's the most fun. In it the is. World. It's, I feel like I'm a conductor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's great. <sighs> <laughs> I can't wait for that to happen again soon. I'm, I'm actually not sitting there thinking about all the times it happened previously. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Okay, so my other question I ask to everyone is... If this was going to be your final set, 
I'm not going to say for whatever reason, because of what happened in the last episode, go out and listen if you want to. What would be the songs, the last three songs that you want to end on? Oh, my God. This reminds me of Tiga's podcast, like Last Party on Earth. I don't know whether yes. you've – yeah, that reminds me of that. And I was thinking about that the other day. Like, what would I even play? <gasps> oh, my God. Well, you need to go back into your mind, open that door and look inside and see what was in there. Oh, man. I think one of them would be Rufus de Soul. Um, oh, what is it called? Oh, no. These, these songs are not going to come to my mind, you know. Um, let Give me, give me, give me a moment. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna have to like look it up, because <laughs> oh, this is, while while try. I'm doing this, I'll tell you. Okay. I actually don't. Oh, in a bloom, Rufus in a bloom. It's it's in like, I don't know how to explain it, but anytime you play it in Australia, everyone just loves it. There's this massive breakdown that lasts for like two minutes, and it just kind of like doesn't really make sense because, you know, you're supposed to have this huge. You know, I think everyone's kind of like waiting for the drop, and because the, you know, the breakdown's so long, everyone's just kind of waiting in anticipation for this drop to happen. And when it finally happens, everyone's like, "Oh my god!" I think I cried listening to it for the first time, like out loud. So, yeah, that. Um, and then I think, uh, is it Errol Alkin? Give me two seconds. See, this is what I mean. But I have thought about it, but not really. So you're not going into Spotify and looking up your playlist of all my absolute emergency bangers. Um, so there's a song called Forever Dolphin Love. Yes. Yeah, but it's the Errol Alkin remix, Connor Moccasin. It's, it's, that's, that's probably one of them. And this is the thing. I play techno music, but here I am like not playing techno music. Um, and then obviously like the last one would definitely be We Magnify His Name by Floor Plan. I think that would be that those three songs would 100% need to be there because I think floor plan for the history in a bloom for the Aussie part of me and I think that Errol Alkin remix of um, Forever Dolphin Love is just beautiful so I think if it was really the end that would be yeah the end. that would yeah. be the, your musical statement to leave with the yeah world. yeah 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 that's exactly nice the way and I gentle like. yeah, yeah I love that. Okay, so one last thing. Do you have any gigs lined up? Is there anywhere our listeners can hear you? Yes. Uh, the next gig I've got coming up, I'm going to be playing at Kitchen Street, supporting Melody, if you know who he is. Um, yeah, which is an amazing opportunity. And I'm also playing after him, so I can pretty much punch it to the max. So that's going to be a really good one. So 11th of August, um, tickets are out now if you do want to buy one. Um, but yeah, just hit me up on Instagram as well if you want to find out more. Um, but yeah. Fantastic. Well, I, wait, 11th of August, what day of the week is that? Friday. Boom. <laughs> You're busy being a DJ too. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, Friday is off limits for all other fun things. But this is one of those times where I'm telling people not to come and go see me. <laughs> go and see Nikki. <laughs> Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, Mo, thanks so much for having me. It's been really lovely. <laughs> I've loved it too. It's yeah. 